Good stuff. How's everybody doing this morning? Good? Yeah? You been enjoying the uh, summer sun? Yeah. Yeah, I was... Uh, the kids and I, I'll, I'll uh, bring this up again, but we took a trek to um, Niagara Falls yesterday, and uh, the kids were kids were funny in that they are amazed at the falls, but then they also kind of take it for granted a little bit too. So like we went and looked at the falls, and then we drove two hours home, and then Nora was like, that was really fun, let's go look at the falls again. Uh, didn't quite grasp the fact that we had just taken that trip, but uh, yeah. Anyway, sorry, that has nothing to do with what we're talking about this morning. But if you're uh, joining us this morning, I uh, just want to say welcome. Uh, we're in the middle of a summer sermon series called Q&A, uh, where we take some questions that you submitted at the beginning of the summer, uh, and we provide our at least our best attempts at an answer, all right? Uh, and uh, this morning, uh, this morning's question, or more specifically, uh, concern, uh, was submitted by email, and it reads like this. Uh, when we sometimes ask for prayer, for healing especially, I have noticed that we sometimes just want God to fix everything and make no attempt to help ourselves first, or in any way, that we could make things better for ourselves. And then we fault God for not answering prayer. Or I'm going to summarize it a little bit uh, in this way. Does Christianity promote prayer over action? Does Christianity have a, have a, you know, a kind of within it, hardwired in it, a reliance to prayer and to just kind of, uh, you know, speak to God and hope that he rescues you rather than actually doing some tangible things to uh, receive relief uh, from whatever situation that we're in. You know, I think we all understand that when I phrase it, does Christianity promote prayer prayer over action, um, that there's a certain part of us that says, well, obviously not. I mean, we have to take some action. We have to be responsible for our actions. Uh, You know, nobody is planning on, I don't think, writing a... You know, I'm, I was thinking I could probably write this book. Unfortunately, it may say something about the fact that most people will probably buy it. But, you know, we pray the pounds away. You know what I mean? Like, you can't just pray things and expect to, some weight loss to happen. Uh, you know, you need to maybe make some wise decisions about what you take in and what you eat and how you exercise. Uh, you know, you can't just pray for more money in your bank account. You may need to take some, uh, you know, actions to actually budget and, and uh, you know, follow some things. Not, and again, not to say that God can't bless us and God can't come through in benevolent ways because I'll, I'll tell you, Steph and I can give testimony that that does happen. But for the large part, you know, we have to actually budget our money, right? I can't just go out and blow it on uh, whatever you know, crazy thing, you know, some sort of toy helicopter or something at the mall kiosk, right? And then get upset that we don't have any money for groceries. We have to take responsibility. And when we come to the topic of prayer, I've been kind of re-realizing the reality that prayer is so simple, yet so complex. I've been rereading, or sorry, I've been reading uh, two books in particular, and I'll just throw them out 
because they're great books. I haven't finished both of them yet, so, uh, but I know that they'll probably end well. So if you'd like to read them, uh, I'm, I'll recommend them. But it's Timothy Keller's book on, called Prayer, uh, and it's uh, Intercessory Prayer by Dutch Sheets. Uh, both of those great books that uh, tackle the reality of prayer and its complexities. But you might be shocked for you know, your pastor to be saying that prayer is complex. Uh, you know, as, prayer, as pastors, we're probably supposed to have somewhat of a handle on this thing called prayer, uh, especially since I'm leading a church uh, that claims to be a house of prayer. Uh, but we're going to get to some of the complexities. And, but before that, I want to just... The simplicity of prayer. I mean, prayer is... prayer. The, the Jews were praying people. It was ingrained into their faith. And, and as Christians coming out of that tradition, right? Prayer is a core value of who, what it means to be Christian, right? All Christians typically uh, will recognize a need to pray. It's, it's simple in that everybody does it. It's, it's universal. You know, every, every major religion uh, holds to something that they would consider prayer, you know, it may be, look different in each religion. You know, for some, it's this way to communicate with the divine beyond us. Sometimes it's a way of emptying ourselves to find the divine within us. There's lots of different variations, but all major religions have this, uh, this thing called prayer in them. This thing that they do. You know, sometimes it's very ritualistic at specific times for specific durations and sometimes it's you know spontaneous sometimes it's in a time of crisis sometimes it's conversational and it's just we're talking back and forth to god and sometimes it's very ritualistic in the that there's specific words to say and a specific number of times to say them and in that variety a lot of the times comes the complexity you know the reality it is prayer stirs up all these questions. You know, is, is prayer for our sake or is it for God's sake? You know, how do I know if God has answered my prayer? If God knows everything, why do I even need to pray? Doesn't he already get it? Ste- uh, Nora turned to Steph and I this week and said, we've been talking a lot about accepting Jesus and, and him coming into your heart. And he tur- she turned to us and said, uh, she was battling a cold at the time, said, if, if Jesus is already in my body, why do I get sick? That's, that's a good question. <laughs> I don't know if I can answer that one. But, uh, you know, or questions like this. What is our responsibility when we pray? Should we pray and expect God to answer us? Or should we be doing something ourselves? In fact, this question has actually been with the church for a long time. Way back uh, in, in the medieval ages, uh, in the Roman Catholic Church, which was the church, uh, there was a belief that where you were born, your, 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 your birth order and your class were, were divinely inspired. The fact that the kings were, were born as kings, they were placed there with the authority of God. And the message was that if you were in a, you know, on the lower classes, you had no hope in this life. 
What you were called to do was to pray and to persevere and to make your penance. And then in the next life, you would be delivered into eternity and the realities of heaven and, and liberated. And in fact, it's not even, it's not even a thousand-year-old question. Just in the, in the 50s and 60s and 70s in Latin America, there was this uh, theological movement called Liberation Theology. And what, it came out of this place of, again, I'm not trying to poke at the Roman Catholic Church, but it's just the historical reality of where they were at that time. Um, they were backing the uh, authorities of, of Latin America. And their message, again, to the people was that these authorities are here and we need to respect our authorities and uh, you need to leave them alone. And as those at a disadvantage, your call is, again, to pray and to persevere. And in the next life, when you're taken to heaven, God will pay you back. God will deliver you into this eternity of, uh, you know, of all, all the riches and, and everything that's described. Well, there was this guy, Gustav, uh, who came along and, and said, well, actually, Jesus came and he said that I've come to free the slaves and stand up for the oppressed. And so actually, uh, the work of Christ is actually in uh, overthrowing the sinful structures that are in place. So it's not about, and, and it kind of evolved, and so it's knowing God then is not about the knowledge of understanding who he is, but knowing God is in doing the things of God. And there's this term that came out called praxis theology. And it was this simple thing that said, if you want to know who God is, you get to know who God is by doing the things of God. So this question has been with us for a long time. Is our role to pray and to persevere? Or is our role to do the things of God and to be the action and to, to you know, come up against these strongholds? And so this morning what I want to do is I, I want to turn to a passage of Scripture because probably the, the best way to unpack this is to hear from Jesus himself, all right? So uh, if you want to open your Bibles to Luke 11... And while you're opening that, I'm just going to, if you, if you really want to be, you know, uh, I don't know what the right word is, get all your fingers moving. You can stick a finger in Matthew 6 while you're going by on the way to Luke. Uh, because if, if you're not aware, right, uh, we have the Gospels and there's four Gospel accounts and sometimes they overlap a little bit. They retell the same story. And so what we're going to read uh, in Luke 11 is also re. Uh, told in a different way in Matthew 6. And there's some differences uh, and some similarities, and we're, we're going to get to that. But right off the bat, I'll, I'll just tell you, the context is a little bit different. In Luke 11, uh, Jesus' disciples come to him and initiate the conversation. In Matthew 6, it's actually part of the Sermon on the Mount and a larger dialogue about uh, about. Uh, well, everything really. I mean, the Sermon of the Mount has it all, but uh, a larger dialogue about pr uh, prayer in particular, all right? So, but we're going to kind of stay in Luke 11, and I'll maybe bounce to Matthew 6 a couple times, mainly just Luke 11, all right? So, I want, let's read it through. I'm going to stop periodically and, and, and just let's talk about it a little bit, but uh, Luke 11, verse 1. Once Jesus was a, a certain 
at a certain, sorry, once Jesus was in a certain place praying, as he finished, one of his disciples came to him and said, Lord, teach us to pray just as John taught his disciples. Now, I think for, for Luke 11, it's important to recognize the context. It's this disciple coming to Jesus and he's not named. He just says, you know, Jesus, you're always in this, doing this thing. You're always praying. And maybe you should be teaching us how to pray as well. Because we want to be on what, we want to be in on what you're doing. We want to model our lives like you model yours. And I think that for us this morning, we need to understand that context. First and foremost, our call to prayer is to model a lifestyle that's similar to the lifestyle Jesus modeled. That we would be like him. That we would be living and acting like him. And then Jesus says, he responds, This is how you should pray. Father, may your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come soon. Give us each day the food we need and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And don't let us yield to temptation. If you're thinking it sort of sounds familiar, familiar, but not quite, you'll realize that in the other passage, Matthew 6, it's more recognizable as the Lord's Prayer. Uh, The belief is, is that Matthew 6 has been a little bit more liturgicalized, if that's a word, Uh, but that the early church was using it more of a liturgy, and so it was a little bit more refined and a little bit uh, kind of polished when it was written down in the Gospel of Matthew because they were using it as a regular part of their liturgy. But this is the Lord's Prayer, so I mean, let's, let's understand that. It's the Lord's Prayer. And I mean, so much has been written about the Lord's Prayer. So much has been preached about the Lord's Prayer. You know, countless books have been written about it. Its structure, its meaning, its use, its historicity. I mean, I, in, in Bible college, this has nothing to do with anything, but in Bible college, I, I wrote a paper on the Lord's Prayer and its use in baptismal liturgy. Like, I mean, that's just, nobody wants to hear about that. But, uh... What I want to say this morning is I want to focus in on that second phrase. May your kingdom come soon. I think it's going to be important for us as we we walk through the rest of Jesus' teaching to to really remember the context of what what we're talking about. That the disciple is coming to Jesus and saying, I want to model my lifestyle after you. I want to live like you. And Jesus is saying, okay, then when you pray, pray, may my kingdom come soon. That we would be those who would be in it for the kingdom. And I think that that's going to be very significant as we unpack the rest of Jesus' teaching. So let's continue. Jesus continues with this parable. Then teaching them more about prayer, he used this story. Suppose you went to a friend's house at midnight, wanting to borrow three loaves of bread. You say to him, a friend of mine has just arrived for a visit, and I have nothing for him to eat. And suppose he calls out from his bedroom, don't bother me. The door is locked for for the night, and my family and I are in bed. I can't help you. But I tell you this. Though he won't do it for friendship's sake, if you keep knocking long enough, he will get up and give you whatever you need because of your shameless persistence. I love this story because I think that 
pretty much all of us can, can understand the concept of shameless persistence. Maybe you guys haven't uh, had to go to your neighbor's house and knock on midnight for, to get some loaves, but especially those of you who have kids, you understand shameless persistence, all right? The ni- you know, that's a nice way of saying stubbornness, right? Especially if you have a kid and you've ever had bedtime, all right? You really understand stubbornness. I mean, I love my kids, love them to death. But I'll tell you, brushing their teeth in particular, I don't know what is up with that. But it is, it is a fight every night. It's like, it's like every night they are experiencing it for the first time. You know what I mean? Like, wait, what's that? I don't want to do that. I don't think that's what I want to do, brushing my teeth. I mean, clearly they're, they're, they're my wife's children. I mean, that's... No, I just... No, I'm just joking. Steph and I will both openly admit that as first... Uh, we're both the eldest children, and we both ha- are, are as stubborn as they come. And so uh, our kids come by honestly. I, I was looking for a, an analogy or a story for this, and I was saying... We were, driving home yesterday and I said, Steph, do you have a funny story about me being stubborn? Which probably is a dangerous question to ask, but I, I asked it anyways. And she said, well, you know, what about about an hour ago when we were standing by the falls and you refused to buy a poncho for $2? So this is our family yesterday. This is newly minted, our uh, family photo here. Uh, you'll notice when it comes up, you'll notice that, uh, yeah, Steph has purchased ponchos for the kids and she was standing in line saying, do you want a poncho? I said, no way. I'm not, I am not being suckered into buying a $2 poncho. All right. That is not going to happen. As you'll see, I'm a little bit wet, uh, but I'm just going to point out they're all equally as wet and they have ponchos on. So I'm just, I'm going to double down on this one, I think. And I think I made the right call. I saved two bucks. But uh, yes, I think we can all recognize, probably in each one of us, even if you're not quite as stubborn as I am, that we all have some shameless persistence in us, don't we? But uh, the great thing about this story is that uh, Jesus doesn't just leave us to figure out what the story means. Uh, he actually does explain it. And so let's, let's just read the next little section. And so I tell you, keep on asking and you will receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking and you will find. Keep on knocking and the door will be open to you. For everyone who asks, receives. Everyone who seeks, finds. And to everyone who knocks, the door will be opened. To understand this passage, I think we need to, again, come back to the context. The framing of, the, of what's going on. That the disciples are saying, I want to get in on what you're doing. And Jesus says, then pray this, may my kingdom come. See, many of us are too busy praying for our own wishes and desires. And we are forgetting that our template that Jesus laid out is to pray, your kingdom come. So often we approach prayer as getting answers to, this, to our wish lists. I was at an event in Cambridge a couple years ago and I heard Tony Campolo speak and he told a story about his son. 
And every night when his son was younger, he would come down the stairs after getting ready for bed and doing all that great stuff like brushing your teeth. He'd come downstairs and he would stand on the bottom step and he'd yell out to his whole family, I'm going to bed now. I'm going to pray. Does anybody want anything? I mean, doesn't that sound like so many of our prayers? God, here's all the things I want you to do. Here's all the people I want you to bless. Here's all the things I'd really like to happen. But we need to start a shift in our minds that says, I'm not going to be praying about my own desires. I'm going to start praying, God, how can your kingdom come? Maybe there is a specific situation that you need the kingdom of God to break in on. And so, yes, your prayer should be, God, bring your kingdom into this situation. But the prayer is framed not in my desires. It's framed in how can I be used to bring your kingdom into this situation? How can I be used as a representative of the kingdom of God wherever I go? See, Jesus, he lived in this place of intimacy with the Father. So much so that his prayers, prayers for healing, were so authoritative because he understood that in that place, the kingdom of God was going to be breaking in. That God's desire for this particular person at this particular time was that they would receive healing. Now, I'm not going to make any grand statements about healing for, for all, at all times, in every situation. But I can say with 100%, author- 100% authority, conviction maybe is a better word, that Jesus only did what the Father said. He told us that. And so when he stood out on a limb ready to pray for healing for someone, to command healing for someone. He was doing it because he knew that that was what the Father wanted him to do. He was doing it because the Father had, you know, he had had that conversation with the Father where this person is going to be healed this morning. So much so that in fact, the the miracles that happened are actually referred to as the announcements of the kingdom of God. That where the miraculous happened, it was actually Jesus announcing, here and now, the kingdom of God is present. The rule and reign of God is present. I, I grew up in a, in a church not far from here, downtown Kitchener, Bethany, and they have this stainless steel, or stainless steel, stained glass window. Uh, and it's a picture of Jesus knocking at the door. And it's, it's Revelation 3, right? If you, if you know that. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. Whoever opens it, I come in and share a meal with them. And I call them my friend. But see, the problem is I always read this passage the same way. I always re- read it to be referring to Jesus. That... You know, I'm seeking Jesus. I'm trying to receive Jesus. You know, so I tell you, keep on asking and you will receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking and you will find. Keep on knocking and the door will be open to you. It doesn't actually say anything about him. It doesn't say, keep on seeking and you will find him. That's not the reference. 
Keep on asking and you will receive him. That's not the reference. In fact, it's actually pointed at each one of us, right? Keep on knocking and the door will be opened to you. We're the ones knocking. We're the ones pursuing. And in fact, what this passage is actually saying is that are we going to be those people who ask and receive the kingdom, who seek and find the kingdom, who knock and have the door opened to the kingdom? Are we those people who are going to persistently, shamelessly persist in pursuing the kingdom? That's what the the Bible passage is saying. That in our prayers, we would be grabbing hold of the kingdom of God and making it real in our very midst. The passage isn't done. There's one more section. You fathers, if your children ask for a fish, do you give them a snake instead? Or if you ask for an egg, do you give them a scorpion? Of course not. So if you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? This is one of those passages that I think that whoever was, I don't know if it was just the disciples or if there was a larger crowd gathered, but I think when they're talking to Jesus, I think it's like, man, this guy is a little bit over the top, all right, with the hyperbole. Anybody else like... I love my kids, and there's no way I'm giving them a scorpion, right? Like, that's, as a total aside, we went to this raised reptile thing the other week, and Nora, or Hannah, un, totally unknowing, volunteered to hold a tarantula. It did not go well, all right? I could tell you that story later, but if you're going to ask for, if my kids are asking for food, there's no way that I'm going to put them in danger. And Jesus is using this crazy hyperbole. Saying, if you are sinful people, understand what it means to give good gifts. Understand what it means to care for. Understand what it means to answer. Obviously, the good and perfect Heavenly Father is going to give you a gift that is good. See, the the promise in this passage is that everybody gets a gift. And that every gift is good. Not that you get whatever you ask for. See, we can't be persistent in asking for something that is not of the kingdom. For some of us, that may seem obvious. But God is saying, when your will and desires align with the kingdom of God in that moment, what you ask for, you will receive because the power is in its alignment with the kingdom of God. Not in your persistence. Be persistent in seeking what is of the kingdom of God. I love Jesus' use of the metaphor of father, of the family. He keeps coming back to it throughout this passage. You know, this passage underlines that reality that we all share in the sonship of Jesus. Did you know that? That we are all called sons and daughters of God. 
That Jesus says, just like I am a son of God, so you are an adopted son or an adopted daughter. You are a part of this family. See, all of Christianity participates just like Jesus in calling God Father. This should so dramatically affect the way we pray that when we pray in persistence, in alignment with Him, that we would recognize that we have a Father who loves us. A Father who is willing to come and give us good gifts. He is not a Father who needs to be cowered from. He is not a Father who is distant. He is not a Father who is absent. He is a Father who is there, ready, with arms wide open, loving, saying, I am willing to give you everything that you ask for in the kingdom of God. When you're walking in alignment with the kingdom of God, everything I have is yours. I will not hold back. I will not try to make you earn my love. But when you pray to me, I will 100% be there for you with every blessing of the kingdom. See, the Christian life is like a road. And there's a ditch on either side. On this side, it's faithless action. And on this side, it's actionless faith. See, if you're on the side of faithless action, your response is, you know, you have to do more. You have to meet more needs. You have to get involved in more political issues. You have to be the reality of Christ. You have to do. And if you're on this side of actionless faith, your response is, we have to pray more. We have to believe more. We have to repent more. We have to have more faith. But the reality is that both sides are ditches. Both sides are missing the fullness of the Christian life that we're called called to. See, if you're on one side of the road and it's just about prayer and faith, the Bible is very clear that faith without action is dead. See, there's a bit of a wrinkle here. And I told you there's a passage in Luke 11 and Matthew 6. Matthew 6 actually sets up the Lord's Prayer saying this. When you pray, don't babble on and on as people of other religions do. They think their prayers are answered merely by repeating their words again and again. Don't be like them, for your Father knows exactly what you need even before you ask Him. See, if our attitude is that if we pray enough, God will hear. If we pray enough, then God will act. We are missing the reality of being a son and daughter of the kingdom. God is not withholding. He has promised to meet our needs in the kingdom. It's not the amount of prayer that makes a difference, but it's the alignment with the kingdom. Remember what it says in James, right? It says, uh, the prayers of a righteous man will be answered. Why are those prayers, or the prayers of a righteous man are powerful? Why are those prayers so powerful? 
Not because of the persistence of the man or because the man has somehow got himself into this place of righteousness. I've repented enough that I'm somehow in good enough standing that when I talk to God, he's actually going to listen. The point is that he's a righteous man because he has aligned himself with the kingdom of God. The prayer is powerful because it is aligned with the kingdom of God. It's saying, I am praying for the very thing that God wants to do in this situation. It's not about my standing. It's about my alignment with Him. And normally the response from people on this side of, of, of the ditch or the road is that prayer is action. And that's true. Prayer is definitely a powerful weapon. But we stumble when we are unwilling to meet the physical needs of those around us. I don't know if you know this, but when Jesus is talking about the end times and judgment, God comes and separates the believers from the unbelievers. And what is it that characterizes the believers from the unbelievers? It's the fact that the believers were those who went out and met the needs of the people. That they actually ministered to Jesus that they clothed the naked, that they visited the imprisoned, that they actually were the people who walked the talk. I have no doubt that when we gather here on Sunday morning and have prayer time corporately like we just did, that there may be someone over here who's sharing a need, that someone over here is hearing from God, I am going to be the answer to that prayer. God is moving in our midst to say, I brought you into your community so that when you pray and have an issue, I'm going to move through this person in alignment with the kingdom to answer that. Yet at the same time, if we are on the other side of the road and we are just acting out of our own selves, we are severely limiting our impact for the kingdom. I mean, I think I'm pretty cool. I think I can do a lot. But I know that I cannot do as much as God can do through me, right? I mean, think about this. I was, I was wrestling with this one this week. Jesus was called a man of prayer, yet he had the power to change anything and everything in his situation, right? When he walked into a situation, he had immediately any sort of stress, any sort of issue that was bothering them, any sort of trouble that the disciples were in, he could have instantly changed it. Any sort of, in, you know, when, when the guards are circling them in, the, in Gethsemane, he could have delivered them like that. Call on the angels, right? It says at one point, is, is Satan's actual temptation of him, that it was possible He could have changed it all, anything and everything. But in those times of crisis and decision, he was known for going and praying. He was a man of prayer. See, if we're on this side of the ditch, or in this side on the ditch, in the ditch on this side, we need to recognize that prayer is effective. Right? That's the temptation to say, I can do more myself. It's this pride that wells up within me. I can answer that issue. But the reality is there's a dependency that God is calling us to. I'm going to answer that through you. Because prayer is effective. Imagine what it would look like to be a part of a community 
that was able to walk that middle road. That was able to pursue the kingdom of God in faithful prayer on this side. And in deliberate action. That we were those who would be able to not just say it's prayer or it's action. But we're able to say it's both. It's prayer and action. Together. A people that would, were known for being persistent in their prayer life. We're known that we are those who want the kingdom of God to break through so much that we are willing to be persistent in everything we do. That we would hear from God his very heart for a situation, his very desire for the kingdom of God to be established in that situation. And then we would have the boldness to act on it. The boldness to pray for healing. The boldness to meet the needs. The boldness to step out of our comfort zones into situations that we would never put ourselves in normally. A people that would see the miraculous signs as announcing the kingdom of God. See the tangible reality of God with God's will in our presence. That we would be people who are constantly announcing the kingdom of God is here. That's the life we're invited to, to be a part of. That's what being a Christian is really all about. That as we participate in prayer time, and one person lifts our hands, that we would be praying alongside, saying, God, is, you know, should I, or not even should I, God, you've called to answer that need. I'm reading through Francis Chan's book, uh, Marriage for Eternity, and one of the things he says is, I wish Christians would take to heart the commands of God and that we would act always and only stop when God says. That if there's, a, there's something that's been laid down in Scripture, that we are those, if he's use, he uses the example of, of adoption in particular. We are called to care for the orphans. He says, I wish that every Christian couple would always pursue adoption unless God said stop. Because God has called us to care for the the orphans. That we would pursue the things of God unless God redirected our our minds. I was, just the other week actually, I was in one of our prayer times uh, out in the portable. And someone was sharing a, a, a need that they had. And, and she was talking about this need and she didn't even, it, I don't even think the words were out of her mouth 100%. Like she hadn't even finished her sentence. And someone on the other side of the circle said, oh, I can meet that need. <laughs> I have that at my house that I'm no longer in need of and I'd love to bless you with that. I have no doubt that in this community here that God desires to use us to both pray and to answer. In faith, we would be those who would faithfully do the work of the kingdom. And so my challenge for you this morning is this. Let us pursue the kingdom of God persistently through prayer and action. 
that we would pray with expectancy and act in faithful service. Why don't you stand with me this morning as we end? And I'm just going to pray. Father, I thank you for a community that I already know has been grappling with this. That I already know are those who faithfully, persistently pursue the kingdom of God in every situation. And that are those who are bold and those who are willing to act to bring the kingdom of God and realize the kingdom of God in each and every situation. Father, I pray that you would continue to stir in our hearts that persistence, that stubbornness for the kingdom of God, that we would be those who would pursue it all out, all the time, with all of our mind, all of our body, all of our soul, all of our passion in everything we do. Father, I pray that that we would be those people willing to be your hands and feet. Father, we would be so in tune with you, so in align with you that, as it says, the prayer of a righteous person is so powerful that we would be those who would receive that power, not in our own standing, in our own righteousness, that I can somehow get there if I repent enough or do enough or memorize enough, that I can actually walk in in alignment with him and see power in my prayer because I know this is the very thing that God wants to see happen in our, in our midst right now. Father, I pray for that kind of alignment in our hearts, in our minds and in everything we do. In your holy name, amen.